Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk to nicely. I boarded the Titanic in Southampton with a dream of new adventures. My whole life had been an endless cascade of work, reading through paperwork, trying to turn nothing into something. Admittedly, I'd done quite well for myself, and despite coming from a rather poor background, I pulled myself through the hardship, finally landing on stable feet. America was the goal, and what better way to enter than by the greatest ship ever built? The boarding was a mess of people trying to push their way forward. Even for the first-class passengers, it was a futile task to maintain order. I held tightly onto my massive luggage, which contained everything important in my life. Had I lost it, my beginning in the States would have been a foregone conclusion. After a manic struggle, I finally got on board. The interior was absolutely stunning, beyond any craftsmanship ever displayed on a vessel of the same magnitude. Each wall, each painting, Everything had been built and formed by the best of the best. I wandered the ship, checking out Café Parisien, the smoke room, and the promenade deck that made the world around us seem all too insignificant. Titanic was the center of the universe, and everything else became unimportant. Ahead of us lay America, only separated by the vast oceans between us. But first, we had to stop in Queenstown, Ireland. That night, I experienced what would be my first and last dinner at the banquet hall. It was the first-class dining salon, filled to the brim with laughing people, each richer than the last. Though I'd provided well for myself, I felt so small compared to the famous people aboard. I suppose the lower class still lingered in me. In a way, I missed it. People just seemed more real, open about their emotions, not afraid to leave a bad impression. But here, everything felt forced. Everyone trying to look their best, even if they didn't feel it nor mean it. It dampened the mood a bit, I'd worked so hard for success, but now that I stood at its doorstep, it just didn't taste as sweet as I'd dreamed. Then the room around me changed. It was just for a blink of an eye, but what I saw horrified me beyond my wildest imagination. The entire dining salon was filled with murky, dark water. Tables, plates, and bodies floated in the waters, dozens of drowned passengers hanging lifeless in front of me. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't even move. I just sat there under a million tons of water, feeling the pressure break my bones. Before I knew it, I was back in the dining salon. People were laughing, going about their days as if nothing had happened. I was in shock, mostly because I'd seen something that wasn't there, but also because it felt all too real. I excused myself and decided to get away from the crowds. The ship housed an overabundance of different leisure time facilities. Among them was a Turkish bathhouse. I figured it would be the perfect bit of relaxation to bring me back to reality. 
there were a few people in there, all sitting around in silence, just enjoying whatever luxuries they could soak in during their trip. But the silence didn't bother me. I needed to shake the horrific image away from my memory. I lied down on one of the beds and closed my eyes. Minutes passed and I almost drifted off to sleep. That's when I felt the entire room tip over and I fell against the wall in front of me. One of the men screamed in agony as he broke his leg, but I couldn't make it over to him from my location. Instead, I just screamed for help, but my yells were drowned out by the loud sounds of flowing water. Sir, can you hear me? I heard a voice say as I woke from the nightmare I'd just experienced. Had I fallen asleep? Or had I just imagined the whole situation? The ship, it tipped over, I said out of breath. What are you talking about? I looked around the room. Everyone was fine, albeit a bit shook up from my frantic yells. We have a doctor on deck. Maybe you should get checked out, one of the stewards suggested. I shook my head, claiming I just needed to sleep. He let me get dressed, and then he led me into one of the hallways leading towards my room. Just get some rest, all right? As he spoke those words, the lights in the hallway started to flicker. I heard the sound of metal twisting as the outer hall gave into the pressure. What is that sound? I asked. Then, water came rushing down the hallway. I screamed again and fell to the ground from the sheer force of the impact. But just like before, it was over in a minute. All right, we're taking you to the dock, the steward said. At the med bay, the doctor on board just asked me generic questions about my previous experiences at sea. He thought I was insane. I could tell it by looking into his eyes. Not that I blamed him. I thought I'd gone mad myself. We're sending you to the hospital once we dock in Queenstown, the doctor ordered. But there's no point in arguing. You can either leave voluntarily or spend the rest of the trip in jail. That's how it came to be, that I was kicked off the Titanic. We had barely even started the journey, but mine had already ended. I was admitted for a short stay at the hospital on land, but the doctor quickly declared me healthy enough to return back to England. However, by the time I could return home, we'd all heard the news about Titanic. The unsinkable ship had hit an iceberg, killing more than half the people on board as it went down. Had I stayed, I probably would have been one of them. I don't understand what happened to me during my brief stay on the Titanic, but if not for the strange premonitions, I wouldn't have been here today. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I never asked to travel on the Titanic. Not because I didn't admire the achievement, but because the open seas and cramped cabins made me feel sick. Still, I had to travel to New York, and since the first-class ticket had been generously sponsored by my employer, I felt obliged to give it a chance. We had just set sail from Southampton in England. Hundreds of people had swarmed the docks, desperate for a new adventure. After all, it would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for most. Luckily, I packed light, so I didn't face much trouble dealing with the rest of the tourists. For them, it was all about the glory of traveling on the world's greatest boat. For me, it was just business, from England to France. Only a couple of hours went by. Even then, I felt seasick by the time we docked for the next batch of passengers. I'd already spent a lot of time in Cherbourg, so I saw a lot of familiar faces rushed aboard the vessel. Among them, 
I recognized Mrs. Charlotte Cardeza, a rich woman arriving with her son and maid, bringing with them 14 trunks, four suitcases, and three crates of baggage. Rich people sure are a different breed. I mumbled to myself as I looked at the ridiculous sight. Once we set sail for the seas, it was time for dinner. I was served grilled mutton chops with a side of mashed potatoes, the perfect meal to exacerbate my seasickness. I looked over to the side and saw Mrs. Cardeza at a full table, laughing. Her plate was already empty. I guess travel really took it out of her. Once I couldn't stomach the waves anymore, I retreated back to my room, where I spent most of my journey. My daily activities consisted mostly of hanging over the toilet and dry heating. Because of my condition, my journey wasn't the most interesting one, at least until the 14th of April, when we got violently woken up by the entire ship shaking. The glass on my bedside table fell to the ground, shattering in the process. I got up on my shaky feet, worried we might have hit something, but as quickly as the shaking had begun, it subsided without a trace. I could hear the other passengers entering into the hallway from the shock, so I stuck my head out to see what all the commotion was about. One of the ship's stewards approached the worried passengers. We came close to an iceberg, but we've corrected our course now. Enjoy the rest of your night, he said politely. Still, as I stood there in the hallway, something just felt off. In a way, it seemed like we'd moved. There were just minor changes, colors that faded, and details I couldn't recognize. We did as instructed without further quarrel, but rest would not come. Midnight was quickly approaching, and the steward just wouldn't leave the hall. I could hear him rush past my door multiple times with hurried footsteps. The sound of his shoes hitting the carpeted floor echoed into my room. I took a gander outside to find the steward running down the hall. But just as he ran around the corner, I heard footsteps appear behind me. The same man came running from the opposite direction, as if he'd been transported by magic. As he saw me, he just stopped. He looked absolutely horrified. Sir, did you see me pass that corner just now? I nodded. What's going on? He just shook his head in confusion. I don't, I don't know. He pondered for a moment, trying to come to terms with the situation. Just keep an eye on me. See what happens when I reach the end of the hallway. With that, he ran around the corner once more. Just like before, he appeared behind me, stopping at my door. How'd you do that? I asked. I didn't, you try it, he demanded. I walked down the hall, passing numerous rooms before rounding the corner. I expected to see the exit, but was met by the terrified looking steward instead. What in God's name just happened? Let's try to go the other way. Maybe that'll change something. Together we turned around and walked down the other end of the hallway. The ship was starting to feel ever so slightly slanted, and in the distance we heard flowing water. We rushed around the corner. Once more, we returned to my doorstep. Why is the ship tilted? I asked. We hit an iceberg, but it shouldn't have mattered. The ship can't sink. That notion was quickly put to rest as a small stream of water came running down the hallway. Oh, dear God, are we sinking? I asked. It, it can't be. We need to wake the other passengers. We started rushing from door to door, frantically hammering in a futile attempt at waking everyone up. To our surprise, not a single person opened up. We entered one of the rooms to figure out what was wrong, and sure enough, it was absolutely empty. Each and every one of the cabins had been abandoned. It was as if the passengers had vanished into thin air. With no other options, we just ran through the hallway, always returning to the same place. The ship was tipping over, and the floor gradually filled with water. Moving around was getting progressively more difficult, and before long, the steward had gotten too far ahead of me. Wait! I shouted as one of the doors blew open, and water started streaming into the hallway. The water dragged me down the hallway, away from the steward, who I'd lost sight of. Once I got back on my feet, I noticed a door I hadn't seen before. It was an exit 
leading up towards the deck. It was a way out. Steward, I found a way out. I could see him return around the corner, struggling to get through the knee-deep waters. The stream pushed against the door as I fought to keep it open for him, but it was a losing battle. With one final blow, I lost my grip and fell backwards into the exit. I rushed to open the door again, pushing it against the force of flowing water. But once I finally managed to get through, the steward was simply gone. For a moment, I just stood there in shock. I contemplated going back in for him, but before I could get the chance, I heard a familiar voice coming from behind me. Mr. Lawrence, they're evacuating the ship. We have to go. It was Mrs. Cardeza and her son. They practically dragged me away from the infinitely looping hallway. I took one last glance at the long hallway before the door shut. I knew then that the steward was still trapped in the loop, unable to escape. Once the Titanic sank, we were rescued by the RMS Carpathia. I spent the next couple of days looking for the steward in case he'd gotten out. But without his name and only a vague description, it was a futile task. I escaped the cursed hallways, but I don't think he ever got out alive. On the 10th of April, 1912, I first set foot on the magnificent vessel that had been named the Titanic. Just seeing its combined brilliance of engineering and architecture was enough to baffle my wildest imaginations. I traveled away from my home in Paris to get the chance to board her. I couldn't have been happier with the journey that lay ahead of me. It had been a long and busy trip to Cherbourg. So from the time I boarded, I took time to properly rest in my first class room. It wouldn't be until we arrived in Queenstown, Ireland, before I actually took a moment to admire the ship's interior. Once in Ireland, we picked up the last of the passengers and set sail for the open Atlantic Ocean. New York was our destination, and it would take less than a week to get there. I started wandering around the ship, amazed by the attention to detail. Everything had been designed and constructed by the world's finest craftsmen. The entry hall staircase in particular gave me a true sensation of awe. It almost made me forget we were on a ship and not getting ready to attend a gala. Eventually, I found myself at a small lunch place called Café Parisien. No sooner had I set foot inside before I felt my mind drift back to the open streets of Paris. Endless lines of cafes and restaurants, people chatting, and lovers finding each other. I immediately got myself a table and let the fresh ocean air flow across my face. I ordered myself a coffee and a croissant. I'd already eaten the little amount of food I'd brought from home, and my stomach was rumbling. The rest of the trip, I'd have to rely on whatever food they served aboard the ship. As the waiters walked around, I could hear them exchange words with each other. Contrary to what the sign had promised, the staff wasn't French, but Italian. It was a minor detail that didn't really matter, and it wasn't as if French passengers were lacking. Still, I felt a strange sense of loneliness, traveling so far away with no one to accompany me on my journey. Then I saw her, that peculiar woman that would forever change my life. She was sitting alone by a corner table, wearing a plain white dress that starkly contrasted with the rest of the passengers. There wasn't anything seductive by her clothing. It just seemed out of place. I noticed her hand shaking and she looked almost afraid. After a moment of thought, I considered she might need help. It looked like she was freezing or maybe she was shaking because someone had attacked her. Regardless of the case, I decided to approach her, if only to offer a helping hand. Miss, are you all right? She just lifted her gaze in my direction, shocked that I'd even uttered a few words to her. I, I, I'm okay, mister, she stuttered. Did something happen? I asked. I don't, I don't think so. 
I'm just a bit confused. I don't remember. What's your name? Francesca Boucher, she said. I came with... She drifted off. Her mind was shattered. She struggled to get out any useful information. I looked at her with concern. I'm going to ask the staff for help. Stay here, all right? As I walked over to alert one of the waiters, I thought it odd how no one had seemed bothered by the clearly distressed lady in the cafe. Did people just not care? Or were they really that oblivious to their surroundings? I tapped the waiter on the arm and explained the situation. But as I turned to show him who I was talking about, all I could see was an empty table. The waiter didn't seem too concerned and didn't take my complaint all that seriously. Still, he promised to alert the crew in case they saw anything odd. Whatever might have happened, she had simply vanished, leaving me full of questions. I just hoped she was all right. The next few days went by in a haze. I enjoyed the sights, and the ship was full of activities any gentleman could enjoy partaking in. Yet, my mind still lingered on that woman. What had happened to her? Where had she gone? Once the evening of April 14th came, I retreated into the first-class smoke room. It was surprisingly full. There were men gambling and smoking at pretty much every single table. I joined a couple of elderly gentlemen who enjoyed some cigars. They weren't too talkative, but didn't mind having a stranger at their table. We exchanged some cigars from our respective countries, and my mind slowly began to relax. But as fate would have it, that didn't last, because I saw the woman in the white dress again, sitting alone at a table in the middle of the room. That time, she was soaking wet and shivering uncontrollably. Still, no one seemed to notice her presence, which was odd, not only because of the condition she was in, but because the staff maintained a strict men-only policy in the smoke room. Surprised to see her again, I rushed to her side. Even if I couldn't help her then and there, at least I could figure out what was wrong. Hopefully, she wasn't in any immediate danger. Miss Boucher, what happened to you? I asked. She lifted her head slowly, barely able to move her lips. Her fingers and lips had turned blue, and she looked almost frozen in place. I remember now. I remember. I remember. Remember what? I asked. The ship. It's going to sink. I can hear them screaming. They're all drowning. It's too late. What are you talking about? We're fine. This ship is safe, I promise. Frost was starting to form in her hair as we talked. She looked like she was minutes away from death. I had to get her help. Just for a moment, I turned around to grab the attention of the staff. But once I redirected my gaze at the woman, she was gone. I was left alone, feeling like a madman. She couldn't have possibly been real, but her warning still lit up something within me. Even if the ship couldn't possibly sink, I felt it my duty to at least tell the lookout to pay extra attention. With that, I made my way towards the front deck of the ship, running through the long hallways. It was quickly approaching midnight, and people were scurrying off to bed, confused by my seemingly unnecessary rush. As I got to deck, I immediately found the lookout. It was a small cup-like structure pinned to a mast, only big enough for a couple of people. A crow's nest, we called it. Before I got the chance to talk to the crewman, I noticed an all too familiar figure standing by the railing. It was Francesca, wearing her light white dress. However, she seemed fine, dry, and happy, just enjoying a nighttime stroll. Miss Boucher, I asked, confused at the sight. She turned to me with a curious expression on her face. She didn't seem to recognize me. Yes, how can I help you? We met a few nights ago, you don't remember? I'm sorry, sir. I haven't seen you. She was interrupted by frantic screams coming from above. Iceberg, straight ahead! A crewman yelled in panic as he started ringing the alarm. 
The ship started to rapidly slow down, but it wasn't enough. Within seconds, the side of the ship collided with an enormous iceberg. It shook us enough to push me to the ground. As I fell, I saw Francesca slip and fall over the railing. She let out a short yelp as she fell into the dark waters below, vanishing before I could even get to my feet. I tried to warn the crew, but there was nothing we could do. She was just gone. The rest of the story isn't a very pleasant one. The iceberg caused severe hull destruction, causing the Titanic to flood. Before long, we were ready to abandon ship, and I was among the first to be rushed to a rescue boat. Despite women and children being priority, the simple fact that I was already on deck made them push me onto one of the boats. I survived the sinking of the Titanic, not because I was quick to act, but because a dead woman tried to warn me. Francesca Boucher saved my life, and I'll never know how, nor will I be able to thank her. <laughs>